The nail in the coffin! Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin. I am Tom. He's Travis. It's Wednesday night. Trav, I was uh, out of town for a bit last week, and you and I have not talked as much as usual lately. So uh, what's going on, man? Not a whole lot. I think uh, we kind of went on our own little all-star break there. Um, Not a whole lot going on for the last week or so since uh, that last Cavs game. Business is fixing to pick up, though. I'm, I'm excited. And I got to tell you, um, as we've seen over the last week and a half between the last couple Cavs games before the break and then uh, with the All-Star weekend itself, I think it's fair to say that uh, LeBron James is enjoying playing basketball again, which means I can enjoy watching basketball again. And, you know, second half of the season is going to tip off tomorrow night here at home against Washington. First home game with uh, all the new guys, and I'm pretty excited. I'll be uh, I'll be down there with Pops, so it should be a good time. Yeah, that's what you're saying. That'll be fun. I expect uh... – I've been to a couple games this year, and I have to admit, even when the Cavs were playing pretty well, um, the atmosphere was kind of kind of mad. It wasn't great. I have a feeling you're going to have a pretty uh, pretty nice turnout tomorrow. I think it'll be a, a nice little change of pace, a bit liver environment than we're used to. Yeah, I was going to say I went to one game earlier this year, and I noticed the same thing. And I just the, the buzz around town in general, and it just it feels like it's almost contagious from the team itself you could just kind of tell there was no real cohesion uh in the first half of the season and i I don't i think everybody just in the city fans in general uh could could pick up on that and you know it became a chore i would say in probably the last six weeks or so before the deadline and you know once you know i think the last time you and i were on here doing this it was the the trade deadline day and I think at that point we were cautiously optimistic if for no other reason than because, hey, the new guys aren't the old guys. <laughs> the guys that were kind of killing the buzz around here were most pretty much shipped out of town. So, hey, we've only got one way to go and it's up. But we got a little bit of a taste of it with those two road games right before the break there. Uh, great Sunday win on uh, ABC against Boston, which, by the way, I, I have to just say this now. The Celtics, what the hell were they thinking scheduling Paul Pierce's jersey retirement for a a national TV game against the Cavs? That's like Rutgers scheduling their homecoming with Ohio State coming to town. Like, why would you do that? Yeah, I'll be honest. I'm I'm in general just kind of a Paul Pierce hater. So all the love for Paul Pierce kind of turned me off in general. So I don't get that on on its on its own. But it makes me ill that my daughter (laughs) shares a birthday with him Just Uh. for the record. Oh, disgusting. It's, it's awful. Um, yeah, I actually have a – I think I share one with Kyrie, so – You that, do. I remember that from last year. I'm, I'm not sure if I love that or hate that at this point. But, um, no, the whole all the hoopla around that, like, the way they did it was sort of baffling too. Like, why didn't they do it before the game or at halftime? They had to keep awkwardly showing Paul Pierce sitting there as the Celtics are getting run off the floor. <laughs> this little – daughter like rubbing her head up against him and he's just like get me the hell out of here and everybody had to stay for it that's the thing like fans couldn't even leave early because they were there for the paul pierce thing i guarantee you the concession stands loved it because they basically had a captive audience and nobody was real interested in watching the game at that point so yeah everybody wanted another beer 
That's right. But after that, Cavs come back again. Uh, at this point, I was on the road in Tempe. Um, watch it, and somehow I ended up at a table at a bar right next to a, a couple of OKC fans. But um, got the last laugh on that one because uh, Cavs taking care of business once again. So, um, goddamn, these guys look like they're uh, they're having fun out there. They're engaged, um, and it's uh, it's infectious. I. I I have not been this excited about regular season Cavs basketball in a long time. Yeah, I mean, the ball's moving again, and that's the biggest thing. We saw it pretty much immediately, and I, even if, um, let's say that first game, they all all the the you know the new guys came in, and the shots just weren't falling, and they they didn't look as impressive. The way that they were playing was different. The ball was moving a lot, and if those shots weren't falling, you'd come away from that game still optimistic i think you know that hey the offense looks like it's it's operating in a in a good functional way um i think it i think everybody sees that it's added a little bit of pep into lebron's step a little bit more he seems more excited to play with these guys i think just because of the way they play um a whole lot of and the one thing that i think stuck out to me the most is that and i don't want to pile on isaiah thomas constantly but Isaiah Thomas didn't really seem like a guy, and he said as much at certain times. Like he didn't seem like a guy that was at all willing to change his style of play. He wanted the Cavs to play a way that suited him, not the other way around. And I don't think you see that from any of the new guys. And I, I wouldn't expect you would, because they're all coming from, with the exception, I guess, of Rodney Hood coming from Utah, who's doing okay, um, coming from pretty, you know crappy situations to be in just losing a lot and they all of a sudden are going to get to sniff the playoffs and i have a feeling that that that's going to be the difference and 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 we're already seeing it hopefully they can build on it i have a i have a feeling that the all-star break itself might interrupt a little bit of that rhythm um but i guess we'll find out tomorrow yeah i was going to say the one thing that you got to keep in mind you can always try to project as best you can how a guy's going to fit into a new situation but I know like a lot of what we were hearing about George Hill was his defensively he had fallen off a cliff. Well, you look at the situation in Sacramento, and I mean that would suck your will to live <laughs> as a basketball player, I, yeah. I think. So, um, you know, I wasn't totally going to write him off for that. Um, and we're seeing, I mean, he certainly looks rejuvenated playing with the Cavs and in a, in a good situation and a great opportunity for him. I mean, we saw it kind of go the other way. I mean, on paper and in theory, Jay Crowder should have been a perfect fit mm-hmm. in the Cavs lineup. And it just never worked that way. He never was fit. He was never comfortable. And I don't know, maybe he'll go fit in in Utah and, and get his career back on track out there. And, you know, God bless him if he does. But, uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, in Boston, he was a long, athletic wing defender who could score a little bit. And when you looked at it, obviously, all we've been saying is how we're going to beat Golden State, right? Um, That kind of guy is exactly who you need in theory, and he just wasn't that guy. Plain and simple. What we saw from him the last couple years was not what he was bringing here. And maybe it's the system. Maybe it's attitude. I don't know. But it just wasn't wasn't what we thought it was going to be. Who is working, though? Larry Nance Jr., I've been super excited. Absolutely. I, he, he, we, we, uh, we heard a lot of good things about him coming in. I had high hopes and, you know, you, you kind of wonder, I mean, it, it almost seems a little too storybook with his dad having his number retired here. 
And, uh, you know, Larry Jr. being born in this area, and I think he went to, uh, what, Revere High School? Yep. Yeah, so... Um, Before he just, went to, what, Wyoming or something? Right, right. How Let's, the hell did he end up in Wyoming? But anyways... Gotta go where the scholarship offers are, I suppose. But, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it... Um, he, he, the athleticism, it, he, he reminds me in, in some ways of Tristan a little bit prior to injuries kind of slowing him down, just being super active on the glass. And he actually can do some things that, that I don't think Tristan could ever do. Um, so to have him at this point in his career is super exciting. You mean and, like Palma uh, basketball? What's that? You mean like Palma basketball? Things oh. that Larry Nance can do that Tristan can't? <laughs> I suppose that would be one of them. That wasn't <laughs> on the top of my mind, but uh, you're not wrong. I don't wrong. know. Just sort of a side note here. I don't know that I've seen guys like constantly palm basketballs. And, and I don't know if this – it's just something that I miss when everyone else does it. But I feel like every time I see Larry Nance, he's just holding it with one hand. Like I know that a lot of guys can do it, but he seems to always do it. It's just one of these weird things that that sort of stuck out to me for whatever damn reason. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he looks like a crazy, like, I knew he was athletic, and I knew that that's sort of the, the player that he was, but um, I hope that, you know, he sort of builds on it. I, my first instinct was that he, when I first saw him here, the first game was, he's really active, he does a lot of good things, but he kind of seemed like, maybe it was just jitters, but he seemed really off, like, offensively, like, he just ugly type of shots that weren't going in, things like that, that sort of frustrated me. I was like, wait a minute, but I'm going to chalk it up to jitters and hope that it, you know, just sort of, maybe it's all in my head too. I don't know, but. (laughs) Well, I mean, the other thing to keep in mind, and and I know you were kind of wondering if the all-star break was going to derail that momentum at all. I actually think in some ways, I mean, I think it was probably pretty good because I mean, get a chance to put some sets in, actually run some plays and, and get a better feel for the offense and, and some of the, you know, what the team actually wants to do. I mean, they had to, you could see it, especially in that Boston game where if the first option on a play wasn't available, it was, all right, let's just figure something out on the fly here. And now they're going to be able to kind of get those second, third looks and, and, and run some different options and, uh, you know, kind of get settled in. Um, you know, the one thing I'm kind of curious, and, and we're still probably a solid month, if not more, uh, away, would be where Kevin Love fits into the picture here. Uh, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic because what we saw from him for the first two months of the year, he was pretty clearly entrenched as the second option at the offensive end and was putting up great numbers. He, he was, you know, he, he was really settling into yeah, a nice really effective, groove. Really comfortable. Yep. And his touches just went out the window as soon as Isaiah came into the lineup. And, you know, it stands to reason now they're, they're going to need a second, uh, you know, a second guy, basically. Um, so he can reestablish himself in that role now. The, the door's open. Um, and, and I, you can see, I, I'm guessing... Just trying to, you know, we're going to see what happens here over the next few weeks, obviously. But you would have to assume that you're probably going to get back to seeing him and Tristan both starting. LeBron moving back to the three. And I I guess Jetty probably moves out of the starting lineup, if not out of the rotation entirely. But, um, you know, he's another one. It's even been um, really productive and has made the most of the opportunity that he's gotten uh, getting uh, these uh, these starter minutes. Yeah, so it's... 
crazy what what can happen when you give a young guy with some energy uh, an opportunity and, and you know a guy who doesn't have any sort of agenda whatsoever who really just wants to play it's amazing how effective he can be because he does he just wants to do what he thinks is the right play he doesn't care um he doesn't really care how i guess i don't want to say he doesn't care how it makes him look but um he doesn't care like anything as long as it helps the team win and we didn't necessarily see that with some of the guys that were here before i don't know if that's like i said i don't want to pile on guys too much it's just it's a completely different atmosphere the way they're playing right now. And it's amazing to me, the night and day difference of LeBron. And he really carried that, I think into all-star weekend. And I know he had the uh, off the court uh, muck that he, he got dragged into by whatever her name is. And I really don't want to go into that, but I think he handled that perfectly and, you know, got a chance to really, um, you know, when he got back to playing basketball over the weekend, uh, at the all-star game, he had a, a tremendous all-star game. Um, and, and that, that game in general, uh, just a lot of fun. I, I, are you, do you normally watch the all-star game? Did you watch on Sunday? Um, I did watch this Sunday. I usually, um, I'm usually a kind of leave it on in the background and do other stuff while it's on the last few years. I was, I was considerably more interested this year. Um, I'll say, of all the people that need to shut up and do something else, Rob Riggle is at the top of that list. <laughs> I thought the entertainment stuff before the game was was horrible, um, but that's sort of expected. It's always pretty corny. Um, Everything so after they put the ball up in the air was good. Everything was fantastic, yeah. But and, before, oh, God, Kevin Hart and, and Rob Riggle and, oof, and Fergie. Fergie, yeah, all, jeez. And I, I think Fergie. I honestly think they're making it that out to be a little worse than it actually was, just because she tried it in the in a style that didn't necessarily go over well. But um, I said we'd talk very limited Fergie. So um, the game itself, I, I it's as good as you should expect an All Star game to be. I think. Um, yeah, there's a lot of like sloppy play because they're trying to make some you know, like highlight reel type plays. And there was a lot less of that this year though, than yeah, there have been in past there years. There was a few plays. Like, I don't know that I've ever seen you. You honestly see it rarely in regular games, games that actually matter, but guys like breaking up like fairly wide open alley-oops, like stuff like that. You don't, I feel like a lot of times you never really see it happen might just be because they don't try it when, you know, they don't try it as often in regular games. But in All-Star game, it's always kind of just been, hey, if they want to go for it, let them go for it, right? Right. And and, and you didn't see that as much. Um, watching LeBron and Durant completely clamped on on Curry was pretty entertaining. Um, That's terrifying if you've got the ball in your hands oh, in that situation. Oh, you have yeah. no chance. Yeah, yeah. Um Luckily, he only has to play against one of those guys in real life. So, right. <laughs> um, lucky for him, not so much for the rest of the NBA. But um, no, and, and like we always say, we, we've always, you know, we've always kind of mentioned in the past, like it'll be a bunch of highlight reels, and then people will um, they'll play defense the last like three minutes. It what well, it did sort of follow that model, I guess, but it didn't really feel like it. It didn't really feel like like the old all-star game. And I don't know if the new format had a whole lot to do with that, but I think it did a little bit. And there were, there were a couple things that I think contributed. I think the players took it a little bit personally. And, and that's kind of something that I feel like 
you get more in the NBA than you get in the other leagues where the, the, the players seem to have like the reputation of the league. Uh, they, they take ownership of that a little bit. And I think they caught a lot of flack for nobody giving a shit in the all-star game the last couple of years, especially last year was a pretty bad game. And, uh, you know, the, the reason all these changes had to be made was because it had become such an unwatchable product overall the last few years. I mean, I still watch it every year, but, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people were kind of turned off by what, what it had become. And um, putting the game in the hands, basically, of your stars and telling them, okay, you guys pick these teams. And by the way, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to see the draft televised next year. Whether they televise it or not, I mean, yeah, I think, obviously, that would add some intrigue to it. To me, the thing that would be more important would be having it closer to the actual game itself. Yeah, when all the subs are done. Right, because when, when you know that was what done. happened. I mean, thankfully, it didn't really derail this year's game at all. But, I mean, you had three guys from one team. I mean, it was Porzingis and John Wall and Kevin Love, all from LeBron's team, uh, get ruled out with injuries uh, in the meantime from the time they got drafted until the time the game was. And, you know, I was thinking they had to do it so early for probably merchandise reasons and things like that. But I'm pretty sure they were selling all-star jerseys for all the players in both the black and the white. So Yeah, I don't know why you I wouldn't make that just like sort of the – the opening event of all the yeah i don't think you necessarily needed to do it at all-star saturday night or you know some people are even saying like during the pregame introductions i think that's a bit too extreme you're never going to get that but um i I mean i I could see it either at like the beginning of that week or maybe on friday night yeah i don't know why you couldn't do it or something but yeah I, i i think that would help but i did like uh you know splitting it up with, with the players choosing sides or, you know, the players drafted teams rather than, you know, East versus West. I thought that was good. Um, I think um, I, to your point, I think it was probably smart not to televise the draft this year, just kind of see how it goes. And I think we heard from LeBron and Curry right afterwards, like we should televise that. Okay. Now we know that, like, that's fine. We know for sure. There's no real, like, I don't think it's going to, I don't think anyone's really going to be that upset now. So I think, Next year, we should probably expect that. I think it'll be fun. Yeah, the other one, and I feel like I should know this. Do you know, have they had charities attached to the two teams in past years? I don't believe so. Actually, I think they had less money. Okay. I think, yes, there were charities, but it was for less. Don't call me on that, but I believe so. Because, like, I, I mean, I think when they announced the MVP and all that at the end of the game. They also announced how much money each charity was getting. And LeBron's charity, I think, got 350000 and, and yeah. the losing team was 150000 I kind of feel like in some ways, just for public perception, that probably, maybe I'm just being too altruistic here, but that, to me, would be more of a motivating factor for one of those teams rather than the, the purse that each... Uh, each guy gets. Each guy got. Right. Like, I mean, LeBron's getting a billion dollars from Nike. Do you think he cares that much about an extra no. seventy-five grand? But no. if he could be the guy saying, "Like, hey, I'm the guy that got you three hundred and fifty thousand dollars for this charity," you know, that. Yeah, I mean, if if you're if you're, I don't know what LeBron's worth now. Just some ungodly amount of money, right? More than we're um, going to see in our lifetimes. I can leave it at that. <laughs> that's probably a safe bet. Um, and say what you want about. And, you know, how if you think a guy's cheap or you don't think he's charitable or whatever, if a guy picks a charity, he care he's he's going to be excited to get 
money for that charity, especially if it's not his own money. Like that's just free money for something, right? Sure. And he could still be excited about it. So it's still going to be an incentive for him to try and win. And we saw that. I think that was probably more of a motivating factor than anything else. Um, cause it's, cause why not, you know? Yeah. All of it put together. I think it ended up making for a much better all-star weekend. I thought the, uh, I thought the dunk contest was people better than people were making it out to be. It wasn't like Vince Carter all time. Great, but I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. You know, what was weird about that was, and I'm, I'm not the first person that said this, but Larry Nance, he did a tremendous job. I thought he acquitted himself very well. Every one of his dunks looked better in super slow-mo than they did in real time. Yeah, he also didn't, like, he didn't, like, sell it when he was done. He just, like, did the dunk, and he knew it was sweet, and that was it. Yeah, you got it. There's a little bit of a showmanship you got, yeah, aspect you gotta, that you need you to incorporate there. Right. Yeah, it was you all business. know how sweet it was. I, it's funny, watching the broadcast, you heard the guys, like, Oh yeah, that was pretty good. Well, while they watching it, they're like, "Holy shit!" He tapped it off there twice. Right. Okay. <laughs> That's more impressive than I thought. Yeah, that that one there. I mean, he threw it off the glass. He caught it, and I thought he held onto it and tapped it on the glass that way and dunked it. But he actually, yeah, like in midair, threw it yeah. off and caught it again. And yeah, which is yeah, just... when I saw, I was like, "Holy shit!" That was the, that one especially. I the degree of difficulty on that, I was not totally aware of what I saw it in real time. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, you could make a case he, uh, he should have won, but it's just one of those things I'm not really going to lose any yeah, sleep over. I'm with you. So, no, it was a good all-star weekend, and, uh, you know, I think we're ready to, to get after it with the Cavs here again uh, starting tomorrow night. Um, anything else on the Cavs before we move on? Uh, which one of the guys so far have you been – which one of the four new guys – have you, have you, in, or not necessarily liked the most so far, but do you have like the highest hopes for? Because I honestly feel like Rodney Hood is the guy for me. Um, what was I the last? Okay, so since you brought him up, when was the last Cav we had to to be a, a really good left-handed outside shooter? Oof. <laughs> There's probably it's, somebody within the, Delonte, the last three or four years. Delonte what? West. Reds? Probably. Reds? <laughs> Hand down, man Reds. down. <laughs> I don't know. I can't recall one recently that was all that good. That just, that totally threw me for a loop when I saw him shoot, because I think I either didn't know he was left-handed or had known it and forgotten it. But, um, yeah, just seeing somebody on the Cavs uh, raiding from the outside shooting left-handed was just jarring to see at first. So, yeah, that he's been solid. They've all been solid. Um but he's a guy that just like he strikes me of like he he can fill he can fill a role that we don't have anybody else to fill. Um like he's six seven, he shoots, you know, close to forty percent from three. Um we didn't really have a guy like that. And so I think he's one of those guys that against a team like Golden State he should probably I don't keep assuming we're gonna be in the finals and assume it's gonna be against Golden State, but um, he seems like one of those guys that should be harder to find or should be, you know, shouldn't have just sort of been thrown in and handed to him the way he was. It was a great. And maybe he's just, maybe he's not playing. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's just not playing that well this year. Or maybe I'm overstating how good he actually is, but 
he seems like a guy that teams should really want. So I don't he's know. He's a uh, he's a restricted free agent this summer, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, that that definitely was a contributing factor. They, like Utah, might have just gotten to a point where they weren't really sure they were going to want to pay him. And you know, another, another situation where, uh, you know, you put a guy in a different situation and you know his stock goes up. So, um, yeah, I, I I'll be honest. I mean, Jordan Clarkson, I think, is the only one we haven't really talked about at any length. I mean, he's been another guy, uh, uh, fearless with the uh, with the trigger, um, shooting from the outside, and uh, <laughs> he's already got the uh, the little three point uh, signal or whatever that is with LeBron. So, anytime you could build uh, chemistry with LeBron like that uh, in in a span of your first two games on the team, that can't be bad. Yeah, it's kind of stunning that. I feel like we've seen more excitement on LeBron since the trade deadline than we did in, in the entire season before him. Yeah, and that's the that's the perfect way to bring this full circle is he very clearly was making it known that he was not satisfied with the team that was constructed prior to the deadline and wanted to see something different, wanted to see something done. And the Cavs went for broke with those moves and um, he's in, I mean, I don't want to put words in the guy's mouth, but you know, you could just tell from, you know, what we've seen out of him since then, he looks very clearly engaged. He looks excited. I mean, and it, and it's carried on throughout the whole team. Um, You know, we're going to have to see how these guys all respond when they lose a couple games. I mean, they're not going to run the table here over the last, uh, two and a half months of the season or, or, well, I guess, God, even less than two months now, it's going to go quick, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, you're not going anywhere if you don't have LeBron fully invested and, you know, who knows where this season's or where things are going to go for the franchise this summer, but, you know, in, you're only going to see however many years of him in his prime, whether it's LeBron in his prime, whether it's here or somewhere else. Um, and it was just so frustrating for me as a fan, as a as a Cavs fan and as a basketball fan, to feel like a prime LeBron James year was being wasted. Um, I I don't feel that way anymore. You know, yeah. we're back. We're gonna. Who knows how these next four months are going to play out? But we're going to get the absolute best he's got. And, you know, my advice to everybody listening is enjoy this as much as you can, because, you know, this is not going to last forever. And I know I've said that on here before, but, you know, I, I really feel like now, you know, we're, we've got the, the, the hope is back that we didn't necessarily have at this time a month ago. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, do you think the moves have if you were a gambling man, right, and there were odds on LeBron before the trade and after the trade staying here? Do you think they've gone up, gone down, or stayed the same? Oh, I think it improves his the likelihood that he stays. I, I think it sent a good message for what the organization wants to be and what they're looking to do over the next few years. I think it's gotten them younger. It's gotten them more athletic. Uh, they've maintained some flexibility in terms of what they can do this summer, especially with uh, having that Brooklyn pick, which is continuing to look better and better by the day, is the Nets are kind of playing more to form. Um, he probably <laughs> loves the idea of sticking Gilbert with like a $300 million payroll. Too. I hope he does. I will be glad <laughs> to go pay those uh, increased table minimums over at the Jack Casino. Um, there it is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, 
we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, who, for all we know, he could already have his mind made up that he's going out to the West Coast or something after this year. Although, I'll tell you what, after hearing his comments today after practice when they asked him about the idea that's being kicked around about changing the playoff format and doing away with the traditional East and West conferences. He doesn't seem too keen on playing in the West. No, not in a real hurry to play a whole bunch of extra Western Conference teams. So, um, I don't know. (laughs) We'll see what happens there. Um, Hey, how much of the Olympics are you watching? Not as much as I'd like, but I am watching here and there when there's something coming up that that piques my interest. I'll make sure to watch it or if I'm just sitting around, you know, bored i'll throw it on what what piques your interest i really enjoy um the skiing stuff yes i just think it's nuts watching these people fly down a mountain like that i think it's incredible um so i watched that last night i watched Lindsay vaughn um I've, the super g stuff is pretty incredible um what else have i watched i haven't watched like any team sports like, i haven't watched any hockey um, I, I watch curling because it's on like it's been on a lot when I've been like out places so I'll like it's it's the sport that's on so I'll watch it but I have I don't like put it on at home I don't really care about it that much I don't find it that interesting it's just kind of I'll get into it when it's on TV I guess yeah is it a hot take to say that curling has become overexposed like I feel this was something that developed it a cult following the shark real fast. It, it was just one of those things that developed a, like, a what the hell is this? cult following, and in, in, within the last couple Olympics being put on at odd hours and uh-huh. and just kind of spread by word of mouth, and then all of a sudden it feels like this year NBC is just like, hey, everybody loves curling. We're going to just put curling on every night, and yeah, um, I think CNBC, their their, their one cable channel, the the studio host even said that it was uh see nothing but curling was uh what the uh, <laughs> uh yeah no I'm, i think it like it became like this cult sensation where everybody's talking about how like you know it's ridiculous that this is a sport and so nbc or whatever is like this is what okay people love this no, they just kind of thought it was kind of a fun little novelty. They don't want it all the time. Right. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. It's all right. I don't have a problem with curling, but I'm also not seeking it out. Yeah, I, I'm with you, though. I love the downhill skiing, whether it's the slalom or the, you know, the Super G or any of these. And I think as we're recording now, I'm looking at the background. we got the women's super combined going, and uh, Lindsey Vaughn is in first place in the standings here. But, um yeah, not even the god awful commentary of Bodie Miller is enough to ruin the skiing for me. And he has been as bad as any announcer I've heard on any sport. I haven't paid any attention to him, but he's I horrible, on Twitter absolutely just brutal. Him. The guy just okay. sucks all the fun so out of the why? room. So how, how, and why? What does he do? He has no no level of excitement. There, there's everything. I should I should probably just. Uh, Send you the link to the the Deadspin uh, teardown of him today because they just ripped him up one side and down the other. He's he's basically just sucked all the fun out of it. He has no emotion. Uh, nothing surprises him. Um, it's just a wet blanket about everything that you're seeing so he's in there. Bizarro Gus Johnson. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. And you know, in an event where you're seeing people going down a, a mountainside at 65, 70 miles an hour on a pair of blades, it's you would think there would be a little bit more uh, excitement involved in there just by accident, but apparently not. But, uh, yeah, it, it's been, it's been rough. 
But um, here's one thing I got to thinking about as I've been watching the Olympics here over the past couple of weeks. What the hell did they show every night 20 years ago when these games were going on? Because you think about like there was no <laughs> curling on and the snowboarding events were not around. And you just you look at how much in like the, the freestyle skiing, I don't think was a thing. So like, no, what, I, I don't, I honestly don't remember. Like I can remember when I was little, like the 92 U.S. hockey team was a lot of fun. And I think they ended up finishing like fourth that year. And that was like one of the first things that kind of got me into hockey. And, you know, you get the, the, the downhill skiing's always been a classic and the ski jump's been a big one and, and the figure skating. But like there is a huge chunk of the broadcast now that is taken up by stuff that did not exist 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah, I don't know that it was on TV as much back then, and I think a lot of it was recorded and wasn't on live. Um, so that's probably part of it. I I don't really know. I just I find some of this shit terrifying. Um, like watching them go so fast down the hill, I'm like, I'd piss my pants if I was going that fast. Like I don't know how they do it with no like fear whatsoever. It seems like oh yeah, uh, it was no. cool to see the kid from Rocky River win. That's pretty sweet. There you go. Um, but like yeah, you watch in slow motion. See, like I'm watching it right now. So sorry, I'm a little, little distracted. But um, it's pretty cool. I don't. I'm not sure when did they start doing like the, uh, the X Games type stuff. Like oh, the half the X Games had to be junk. what late nineties. No, I mean when did they put those like type of sports into the Olympics? I'm telling there, you, I there think hasn't it's been a half pipe for that long, right? Yeah, it it is. I would have to say almost definitely within the past. 15 to 20 years. So one thing that doesn't do it for me at all, and I don't, I don't really think it does it for anybody, honestly, because everybody seems to say the same thing. Um, but it was getting quite a bit of run the other day is ice dancing. Like, that's just like for the figure skaters that can't figure skate. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I, there's not, so like, damn much figure skating like on. I, it. Yeah. that, that, that's the one that, uh, that, that the wife will watch every single night is figure skating in any form, whether it's the men's, the women's, the, the couples, the ice dancing, all of it. It's it's overkill. Um, the one thing I will say, and I don't know if it's on, on the figure skating or the ice dancing or both, but they've got that little graphic that's running up in the corner of the screen with the little green and red dots basically telling you if they're hitting all their moves. Have you noticed this? I did notice that. I think that's it's, a good idea, actually. I get it. I understand that, you know, in the era of the Fox box and constantly having all the information on the screen and, and transparency with score, skating, judging and all that, you, it, you probably need to have it. But I just, I find it so distracting when I'm watching it. I'm constantly, every time they hit a move, rather than be like, oh, wow, that was pretty impressive. The guy hit like a... Uh, a quadruple axle or whatever. It's like, I'm immediately looking at, at a graphic in the corner of the screen. Is it green? Is it red? Is it green? Is it red? And it's just kind of like yellow and you're, yeah, it's like, don't, don't give me yellow. <laughs> don't leave me hanging like this. You know, it's just, I don't know. It takes me out of the moment with the, with the, with the figure skating, but no, it, I hear you. I'm probably in the minority on that. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but are you, are you a summer or winter guy? Do you have a, a strong preference? I like them both, to be honest with you. Um, I, I have 
the, the Winter Olympics kind of got, <laughs> I don't want to say wrecked, but I've never looked at them the same way once somebody said it's just 21 different ways to slide on a frozen surface. Um, it kind of re- re- reduced the whole thing for me a little bit. But at the same time, I think the summer, there's just too damn many swimming events. Um, but other than that, I, I love all the track and field events in the summer. I actually do watch the basketball. Yeah, um, same. So One thing I found interesting the other day, um, the biathlon, right, where you do the cross-country skiing and then you oh, shoot yeah. targets and so on and so forth, there is a, a pretty large contingent of folks on the internet whose hot take was like, whoever like thought of this, like why would you ever need to do this? It's like, this is this is probably the one sport that actually did have a practical purpose at one point. Yeah. Like, yeah, you have to go shoot a gun to get food and stuff like that was probably a thing people needed to do not that long ago. Um, of all the sports that you should be questioning, why are we doing this? <laughs> that's probably last on the list. Now, it's not necessarily terribly uh, compelling television, but. I'll tell I, you I, what. I think it's kind of cool when they get done. I'm always anxious to see them shoot the little target. There's yeah, it's, there, man. it's kind of random. We're going to ski for a while. All right, now we're going to take some target yeah, practice. Yeah, right here. I'm going to shoot these little targets. What do you think of that? Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, even without that, though, just the straight cross-country skiing. Um, when I was flying back from Arizona last week, thank God for the free live TV on Southwest, by the way. It is uh, just a lifesaver when you're stuck on a four-and-a-half-hour flight. Um I got roped into watching the women's cross country skiing and the going through like multiple heats and following along with the, the U S athlete. I think she won a, a gold uh, Diggins. I think her name was Jessica Diggins. It was on a, a team event last night that, that won a gold, but uh, did you yeah. see the one like an hour, hour and a half ago? No, no, I was this out. Woman came, like it was, it was a wild finish. She came from behind, like in the home stretch and stuff. US one. That might have been sweet. I think that might have been her, but yeah, when she was doing, I think the short cross country program, which even still is just brutally difficult, and they're racing multiple times in a day. It's just, it's it's wild. But uh, yeah, it's it's a. Have fun you event. ever tried cross country skiing? I did once. I swear, it was it like looks a, goddamn brutal. I I think. I had like a class field trip or something to the uh, the Perry Outdoor Y when I was in junior oh, it's high. The Outdoor Family Fun Center. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So I think that was my one foray into the cross country skiing, and that was probably enough. But yeah, for an event that you'd think compared to some of the craziness of the other events, you know, it, it actually is still pretty compelling. So, ah. Oh. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a fun Winter Olympics. I don't think the Americans have gotten as many uh, medals as we've seen in some of the past years, but uh, I think Norway's maybe... killing it. I think right, yeah, Norway, Norway is which uh... they should. Like, let's be honest. Here. Yeah, I think the U.S. typically does better in the summertime anyway. So it's like throwing the Russians into a vodka drinking contest. You're not, <laughs> you don't stand a chance. How about that, by the way? So they 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 can't compete as Russia. Yeah, I'm they, not sure I really get this. They're, 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 they didn't want to penalize the athletes, I think, that were supposedly clean, that were not taking part in this state-sponsored doping program. So they're still going to get to compete uh, as uh, Olympic athletes from Russia, but they're not actually representing the country. But then did you see, I think, like, one of their first medal winners was a guy in curling. A curler got, got popped. <laughs> for doping. 
just, of all the people to get bopped, it has to be a curler. Like, that's fantastic. Oh, you cannot make this shit up. No. Oh, my Dude. God. All right. We got, eh, we'll go another five five minutes or so here. One other hey, thing. what do you think of Brown's quarterbacks? Yeah. Yeah. How's that? Five, seven, eight. Uh, no, um, I was actually, <laughs> I was listening to the, uh, the local sports talk this morning on my way into work and, um, I've just been kind of listening to probably a little bit more of it than I normally would. And I, I just, I've been listening to people making, so are we in agreement then that the most likely scenario for the Browns is they're going to draft the best quarterback available at number one. And they're going to sign a veteran quarterback to be a bridge guy, a stopgap guy for a year or so. And the only thing that would really change that would be if they can win the Kirk Cousins sweepstakes and he becomes your your new the guy uh, under center for the foreseeable future. And maybe you draft a developmental guy later. Is that pretty much fair to say? I think it's a fairly, you know, it's almost too easy of okay. a plan, right? I think everybody's kind of in agreement with that. Well, here's the thing that that kind of got the wheels turning for me is people are kind of like, you know, oh, is, do we want A.J. McCarron? You know, is, is he good enough? Well, he wasn't good enough for Cincinnati, blah, blah, blah. If you're A.J. McCarron, why do you want to come here? Like, unless If the you're Brown... going to be a bridge guy, yeah, why would you? Why would you Everybody, I mean, it just kind of seems like this, the, the discussions I've heard have been like, is he good enough to come in here and, and be the bridge guy or whatever? I don't know why he would take that job. And I would be careful on just assuming that it's it's his job, you know, if the Browns uh, anoint him. I mean, if they, if they unless they're like giving him a godfather offer with just a ton of money, I'm just, I'm thinking about, you know, you could think about like the Bears last year when they signed Mike Glennon and how pissed off he was when they went and drafted Trubisky uh, a month or two after that he signed. Um, and that was Mike Glennon. And the guys that are available this year, whether it's A.J. McCarron or Case Keenum or you know, Teddy Bridgewater or any of these other guys, um, you know, I, I just I don't see what the appeal of the Browns job is to them. Because if you're looking to be a bridge guy, and you're a guy who you think actually has a future somewhere else, you're going to want to go somewhere, I would think, that is going to improve your stock and show that, you know, you can you can be a big-time quarterback. I mean, look at, like, what Keenum did this year for Minnesota. I mean, that was a perfect scenario for him to, you know, go cash in somewhere this year. Because, I mean, he had a, a team that was built around him for success, and he went and did very well, got his team to the conference championship game. And he's probably going to get a nice payday somewhere this year if it's not in Minnesota. Um, Teddy Bridgewater is a guy that's probably trying to prove himself again. Um, and if you're in any kind of a situation where you're thinking about, you know, two moves ahead, I just don't feel like the Browns are the place that you're going to go um, build your resume with where they're at this year. Yeah, so I guess what – what are some names like you've heard that you think as far as assume they're not going to get cousins, assume that they're going after one of those bridge guys, veteran that can, you know, hold you over for a year or two. Um, who, like who, who piques your interest? Honestly, any of them, because any of them are better than what we had to look at this past year. And maybe that's yeah, not, but I'm not sure. Like when I look at, for example, um, A.J. McCarron, right? If they go sign A.J. McCarron and they give him, I don't know, 
three-year contract or some shit, and he has an okay year. Let's say he goes, I don't know, I'm trying to think of what sort of win number would would be acceptable at this point. Let's say they win six games, and they look okay, and A.J. McCarron plays okay. Do you ride with him still, or do you go to the guy that you drafted one overall? Well, that's the thing. I mean, think back to, what was it, 2014? I mean, you had Brian Hoyer here, hometown guy, and even still, I mean, he had the Browns through, what, 11 games, I think it was? They were in first place in the I division? What's that? I think it's 10. I think they were, what, 7-3? and three? Yeah, okay. I, was gonna say, I thought they were like 7-3, seven, 7-4, seven somewhere in there. They were in the playoff hunt through two-thirds of the season, and even still, people couldn't wait to basically punt him into Lake Erie so that the guy who was drafted number 22 could get in there and play. And that was a guy that was a hometown player. So what do you think is going to happen this year if you bring in another stopgap knowing that you drafted the number one overall guy, you know, and the number one overall quarterback for the first time since Tim Couch, really, and – you know, I mean, you think about, I just, I'm looking at that and I'm like, if it was that bad when Hoy, when it was Hoyer and Manziel, I mean, I don't understand, I don't know how a quarterback this year could could come into that situation without anything other than constantly looking over his shoulder, knowing um, the, the headaches he's going to have to deal with. Because, I mean, people are going to want to see the, the, the number one pick play sooner than later. Yeah, that's sort of why, like, I almost lean towards... Like, and obviously this is a name we heard before, but a guy like a Josh McCown, someone like that who's not going to mind the idea that he's a bridge guy. Right. And I think, you know, A.J. McCarron, he wants a chance to be the guy and, you know, probably deserves it. That's fine. Okay. I can understand that. Um, he, he'll never have that here. He'll never have that opportunity here. He'd really just be playing to to audition to be that somewhere else, right? Right. Um. So I don't know if that's if that's worth investing in because I don't know if he'll be. I don't. You want a guy that's going to be teaching the next guy how to do it, and I don't see that out of AJ McCarron. Um, and that's not no fault of his. I can't say I blame him in that situation. It's just I don't think those guys are the right fit for that role of what you want your starter to be next year. Right. Yeah, that's why I just everybody's kind of getting carried away with. And there's a lot of quarterbacks out there. It's kind of a weird off season in that regard. I feel like, I mean, you got all three of the Minnesota guys, right? You got uh, McCarron, um, Drew Brees is technically going to be available. Yeah, Drew Brees doesn't count. Don't yeah, I was going to say I don't really Cousins, right? Cousins, obviously. Um, If you had to bet, who do you think is starting for Minnesota next year? Ooh, I think it's Bridgewater. That's tough, man. I, I mean, you know who I wanted before, you know, a month ago, I thought Nick Foles would have been perfect. Yeah. And obviously his price, I don't know that his price went up all that much, but I don't know that he's that guy that you're, that anyone's a hundred percent sure is, you know, still a backup. Yeah. I mean, that's another guy though. Kind of like what I was saying about Case Keenum about, you know, being dropped into a situation where you've got the whole team built around you and, you know, you're put into a position 
you know, and I'm not even saying he was like a game manager. I mean, he threw for a billion yards in the Super Bowl and he had a phenomenal game. But I mean, all the pieces were around him to succeed. And then he took the ball and ran with it. Whereas, you know, you drop him in on the Browns. It's a very, very, very different scenario, obviously. Right. Yeah. So I'm not. I don't think you get Super Bowl Nick Foles if you put him under center uh, for the Browns. Right. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Um, There's only it's weird because there should be I feel like there should be more names out there that 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 makes sense. But maybe a Ryan Fitzpatrick isn't a terrible idea. Um, Picks Patrick. Do do you care that much? <laughs> like I I don't care how good the next guy is. I mean, to a degree, you need to, you you need to care it, 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 to some amount. I mean, we're looking at one in thirty one over the last two seasons. I mean, I, I was thinking about this today. I have been in my job where I'm at now. Care about the next guy if it's not you. Well, uh, well no. So- I, I'm, all I'm saying is I have been in in this job that I'm in now. It'll be two years in May. I have never gotten to go into the office on a victory Monday in two years. Because oh. the, the only time the Browns have won a game since I have been in this job was on Christmas Eve, and I didn't work for the next week and a half. Yeah, that's kind of that's, that's <laughs> a sobering thought. I've never gotten to go into work and I've been in this job for two years. I've never gotten to go into work and be like, Hey, hell of a game yesterday. Wow. <sighs> so yeah, I, I do care about how good the quarterback is this year. You need to win some games. We, we, we can't keep going through this. All right. I, I guess I don't want him to, I don't want it to be, um, Cody Kessler or Deshaun Kaiser, or one of those guys. I think with a Josh McCown or a Ryan Fitzpatrick, you can win a few, four, five, six games maybe. Not going to win a ton. You're not going to be pushing to win the division. But I think you can be respectable. You can look competent. Because they looked competent at times last year. Um, so I guess I just want a guy that fills that role, and I don't I don't know that there's that they're going to get one. Mm-hmm. Um who do you who do you like at four? Oh god! If you had your if you had your druthers, right? Let's say they go quarterback one, and the next two teams both go quarterback, just to save everybody else on the table. Um, it seems like general consensus is Barkley, Chubb, or Fitzpatrick. Do you have a strong preference? I'll be honest. The guy that I totally fell in love with watching over the last six weeks of the college football season was, uh, was it Roquan Smith, the linebacker from Georgia? Yeah, the kid from Georgia, yeah. Probably a little bit higher than he's going to end up going, but if he found a way into the Browns' uh, front seven, I would not be upset at all. But, um, I don't know, we're, we're, we're falling down the rabbit hole here. This is already more Browns than, than I was probably planning on talking about. But, yeah, the, the whole thing with the quarterbacks, just, uh, I don't know. I mean, you got to fill airtime and whatnot, but I'm just, I'm listening to some of this. I'm just like, man, don't set yourself up for disappointment because you got to think about what the guys on the other side of the table. I know the Browns are going to be able to back up a Brinks truck for somebody, and that pretty much is going to be their only sales pitch, I think, for Kirk Cousins if they want to try to get in on uh, on that action. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Just we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Yeah, I'm with you. All right. Anything else on your mind? I know it's been a couple of weeks since we've done this. Um, 
yeah, it popped in my head while I was watching this uh, this this skiing half pipe thing here. What'd you think? What'd you think of this chick that just was awful? On um, like basically on purpose, she just like completely played the system to get into the Olympics. Well, I don't she think took she took a was... lot of shit, and I thought it was pretty awesome. I, I you want to you want to know honestly my first thought? I I looked her up on LinkedIn and briefly thought about trying to send a message to see if we could get her on here. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been something. But she, Gotta be. A, I'm nothing if not opportunistic. Yeah, but, no kidding. Um, no, I, I, the whole thing was really interesting to me. I, I guess, I, I mean, I understand why there are people that were upset about it. And, oh, this makes a mockery of the Olympics and blah blah. blah. I'm like, oh, fucking get over yourself. Um, I, the still, reason I she's not like, I the reason know, I didn't have a, someone else off the podium. Who cares? Right. I was gonna say I don't think she took a spot away from anybody. The reason that she is competing for Hungary in these games is because, like, they had a lack of people to fill out the spots. And she went through, I mean, she put up her money, her own money, to go compete in all the events that she needed to compete in. Um, And I don't think she was trying to suck (laughs) in her runs. I think she's just really limited in what she could do, Um, you know, and, and wanted to find a way to get into the Olympics and... You know, I mean, it's a loophole. I'm curious to know whether anybody will ever be able to pull this off again in the future or if anybody would even want to. But um, I don't know. I guess it kind of falls under the whole victimless crime uh, banner for me personally. Yeah, absolutely. The one thing that was hilarious was the announcers, while she was doing these runs, just had no idea what to do with it. They, I mean, they were like trying to call it straight, but they very clearly were just completely unprepared for what they were watching. Oh, she didn't uh, didn't quite get the height there that uh, that she was looking for, and uh, hard to you know just fumbling at a complete loss. That was hilarious. Yeah, no, it was entertaining. Like, who cares? The people that were so angry about it, I'm like, so she went out there and you know didn't exactly. Uh, didn't exactly wow everybody with her performance. Right? Does it really matter? Like you said, victimless crime. She she had fun. Didn't take a spot away from anybody. Didn't you know? No downside to it. Whatsoever. I would love. I, I would love to know. I would love to know how much money she had to spend to compete in all those races. It sounded nuts. Like she was over in like China and stuff for them. Like going to these tournaments that no one else was going to right. finishing like 15th out of like 17th. One of the ones I read one of the quotes and it was like, yeah, she finished like 15, like second or third from last a couple times. Cause like someone fell and got disqualified. <laughs> it's like, she was the worst at even these other tournaments and she kept going. So yeah. good for her, you know, whatever. Well, yeah. And I think they, I read the associated press story on this, the day that she started competing at the Olympics and they had asked several of the other people that were in that event, you know, what do you think about, you know, this woman that's competing against you here and, and what she's done here to get into this. And they all seem to be fine with it. I don't think I saw any of the other athletes actually in the event speaking out and having a major problem with it. So yeah. if the people going up against her who are all like, yeah, whatever, then I don't really see why any of us should be that upset by it. Yep. Yeah, just sort of another one of those. I mean, you need those kind of stories to make these things interesting, I think. Yeah. 
Oh, no. So we just wiped out. Yeah, that's not going to be good for business. Oh, man. Oh, that's that's rough. Oh. Well, by the way, and, (laughs) you know, I mean, we we joke about how awful uh, Elizabeth Swaney, I think her name was. We we haven't actually name dropped her yet, but her, her runs were on these things. I want you to try to go do the half pipe and, and just do what she did, where she was like skiing backwards half the time, you know, coming down uh, the, the pipe and going up the sides and, and and doing what she did. That I know it looks super basic compared to what everybody else was doing. I still don't think like I could do what she did. I could definitely not do what she did. Um, and I think if you went to uh, if you went to Brandywine on a Saturday afternoon. 99% of the people there couldn't do it either. Like the, even even seasoned skiers, I don't think could do that very easily. So, um, yeah, she's definitely not in the same class as, as those other people, but she's clearly worked on it. You know, she's yeah. she's gotten to the point where she can actually complete a run. So, yeah. all right. Well, I think that's probably a good place for us to close up shop. What do you say? Hey, take it home. All right. You can listen to uh, all of our uh, episodes on waitingfornextyear.com, and we certainly encourage you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Uh, For you Android users, we are on Google Play, and we are also on Stitcher as well. Go like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thenailpodcast. Try to get some stories up there uh, over the next few days here and uh, keep uh, giving you uh, good stuff uh, on the Facebook page. So I think that'll do it for us for this week. Uh, for Travis Shuley, I'm Tom Valentino. It's been The Nail in the Coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, Yeah. right? And yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? (laughs) The Bigfoot thing is people have seen these and and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chipotas. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.